Preachers who don't preach on hell are sending people to hell. If you don't hear of the wrath of God, how will you know of the great mercy of God? This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Hebrews chapter 12, and beginning in verse 18, we are talking this morning about seeking the unshakable kingdom in an unstable world. What that means for us today. Seeking the unshakable kingdom in an unstable world. Hebrews chapter 12, and we begin reading in verse 18. The writer of Hebrews records, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We live in a volatile and unstable world. We have threats from without with the interconnectedness of globalization and economies and in the marketplace. Perhaps that's more true as much as it has ever been before. Take events that have happened recently over the last few years with the PRK, the People's Republic of Korea, also known as North Korea, and the threat that that poses as a rogue nation to the rest of the world. And sometimes it can be simplistic to think that there are easy options to such a thing. But let's imagine for a second a country that has made a nuclear weapon and has it on hand. If we were to try to do some type of preemptive strike or preemptive teams sit in to knock out the threat. Estimates are that at a minimum, it would take us at least 30 days to find the nuclear weapons. And that's if we know where they all are and we don't know where they all are. Try a military option. There's a one million man army strong that will fight to the death and they will hide in the clefts and the rocks until the last man is down. On top of that, if you try to invade a country, we know the aftermath of such a thing. It's not just about conquering a dictator. It's also about nation building and we've seen the difficulties of that in Iraq and Afghanistan try to do a preemptive strike see what would happen and see what happens with South Korea and Seoul and with Tokyo and what the world looks like without an economy of those two countries it's not as easy a thing as you think. We can move over to the Middle East and consider the nation of Iran and what the implications are there. A Middle East that is tied very closely together with deep-seated hostilities against which there are no easy solutions. Many presidents have 
brought both parties to Camp David and have tried to broker it between the Arabs and the Jews, but it has not happened thus far. We have threats from without, but we also have threats from within. We have political instability in this country. There used to be a time when opposing parties could talk to each other. Now we talk at each other, talk past one another, rather than trying to come now and reason together. We have political instability, but we also have moral instability. There used to be a time when we knew what was right and what was wrong, but now we live in an age where your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and nothing is certain as it's ever been, so you just do what's right in your own eyes, as it were in the day of Noah. Political instability, moral instability. We have physical instability, don't we? So many people worried about the healthcare debate and being able to provide in that area, and certainly we should do that, but we talk so much about health, but we don't talk a whole lot about wellness, about what it means to eat well and to exercise. And there are a lot of Baptist preachers who are talking about how God can free you from drugs and alcohol, but man, can he free you from gluttony? Can he free you from fried chicken? That's the question we have to consider. There are many of us who are, who are getting older and our, our, our knees are giving out and our, our hips aren't holding up and we become feeble. We're, we're physically unstable. But even beyond that, we're emotionally unstable. You think of how many people through anxiety, through deficit disorders, through other things are on medications in this country. An astronomical number. People who legitimately have those needs and then people who inadvertently abuse those needs. We're physically unstable, we're emotionally unstable, but my goodness, are we not spiritually unstable? We are living in a time where worship is no longer prioritized, where our affections are competed, when God says, I will not share my glory with another person, and yet we have priorities of calendar and pocketbook hitting us each and every day. What will you prioritize on this particular day? And I have to tell you, I, I am tired of having to do funerals of people who have compensated by overdosing. I've done way too many in the past couple of years. So we live in this world that is unstable, and yet there are no easy solutions to it. How do you live when the threat can't be eliminated? The people of Hebrews 12 knew what this was like. They lived during an era known as the Pax Romana, which was the 200 years of peace throughout the Roman Empire, but it took quite a bit for them to get there. In fact, they were worried about insurrection in their own country, and just a few years within this time period, their own temple would be sacked and their city taken as a result. How do you live in a world where the threat still continues? They thought Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman Empire. Turned out he overthrew human hearts instead. Seeking an unshakable kingdom in an unstable world, a volatile world. He tells us that's what we've got to do, and he describes the reason why. It is a kingdom that cannot be touched. Just a few minutes ago, we experienced the power of that. There's something in our, our nervous system, the way we're hard, hardwired, that does something when we're touched. You think of a, of a handshake or a, or a hug or, or a fist bump nowadays. Some of you got the Germex ready as soon as you're done. You know the, the power of a handshake and a hug. You also know the, the pitfalls of it. I can recall Peppermint Patty saying to Charlie Brown, always trying to win his affection, when he reached for something out of her grasp, she said, you touched my hand, Chuck. There's something in that power. Jesus knew of this power. People who came to him knew of this power. 
She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And yet the writer says, this is a kingdom that cannot be touched with human hands. In fact, he describes what takes place in the Old Testament, which was to touch Mount Sinai. And if you were to touch Mount Sinai, if your animal was to go to Mount Sinai, it meant death, just as touching the Ark of the Covenant. You'll remember what happened to the people had heard from the Lord. He had delivered them out of Pharaoh on the brink of the promised land. And along the way, while Moses was up on the mountain getting the commandments from God, they decided they would take matters into their own hands. And they created for themselves a golden calf so they could worship like all the other people worship these visible gods. Even though God had been there for them as a cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night. And when Moses came down the mountain, he was so upset that after receiving those commandments from God, he threw them on the ground in anger and had to go back up. And when he came down the second time, the scripture tells us that even Moses, the greatest leader perhaps in recorded biblical history outside of Christ, trembled with fear because God judged the Israelites on that day and he took out many who did not worship and honor his name. And friends, we can become uncomfortable and disheartened by all of the judgment that takes place in the Old Testament, but you rest assured every single person God judges, he is righteous and just in doing so. It is the holiness of God that comes into this place. And he says, this is a kingdom that cannot be touched. It's hard to see the visible work in a kingdom that is invisible. And part of the frustration of ministry is not being able to see the fruit of your labor. This is why people give up well before the finish line. You can't always see how people are going to turn out. And in doing the Lord's work, whether that's vocationally or in your own life, There is always something else that can be done. And there's always something that tells the story beyond numbers and budgets and buildings. And so you can't always measure it. And sometimes it's a lot more satisfying to set up some chairs or to mow a yard than it is to do the work of God's kingdom. Why? Because you can look out and you can measure something that has been done. My type A's who have a to-do list, you ever write something on that list just so you can cross it off? There's satisfaction in that, isn't there? But it's not always that way in the kingdom of God. You you can't always touch it. You can't always see it. And it can be difficult when you can't see the outcome. People come, people go. You pasture a parade. You don't know how the little boy and the little girl will turn out one day. You don't know whether the work that you do will ultimately last, at least visually. And yet John describes the kingdom of God in a different way. He says, it is that which is from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And so the writer here isn't simply referring to touch in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual realm. He's saying the kingdom of God, look at what it is. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering. They're gathered around the assembly of the first born who were enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect it's anchored by Jesus who is the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel instead of talking about physical touch here he's saying this kingdom of God is so indescribable it is so great it is so uncontainable that you can't even touch it Almost like MC Hammer stole the lyrics right out of scripture here. And he says, you are beyond Mount Sinai. 
Now you're looking to Zion, the city of God. Once by nature, you were the children of wrath, but now you are the children of God. Once God's position for you was wrath and righteous indignation because of your sin. But when you saw your sin and Jesus convicted you of it and you turned to him, he made you a child of the promise. And he tells you, no longer are you looking at doom. No longer are you looking at Mordor. You are looking to the city of the living God. And it is a city in which if you were to be able to to describe it, to take all of the sapphires and the emeralds and the jewels of this world and put it together, it would not contain the city of the living God. And when you see it, you will give up everything for it. Abraham looked for this city which had foundation, whose builder and maker was God. They all died in faith, looking to the reward. And it's a city that's not empty. There are people there. I look forward to seeing my Aunt Hazel. I want to see whether she was telling the truth or not. She couldn't speak towards the end of her life, so she wrote on this board that I was her favorite nephew. I'm going to find out whether or not she was lying. I look forward to seeing Lee Kennedy. He taught my dad in Sunday school, and then he taught me and my brother in Sunday school. Years and years later, he gave us $10 every Christmas before he went home to be with the Lord. I missed that money, and he's got more to pay up on. You've got brothers and sisters. You've got fathers and mothers. He says this is an incredible place to look to. And the great thing about it is the reason that they're able to look to the city of the living God, the reason they're able to do all of this is because of Jesus. He says that justice demands something, that grace isn't some get-out-of-hell-free card, but grace is possible because the wrath of God has been satisfied. And God himself does not change, but his position towards you certainly does change. Once God was angry at your sin, now he is loving at your righteousness. And there is a joy there that even though you can't always touch it, you can see it. You see it when boys and girls and men and women follow Jesus in baptism. When you hear a testimony of the living God who's worked in their life and he can work in your life too, you see just glimpses of it. If you put on those glasses this past week and you saw the, the solar eclipse and you put them on, it's just a, a glimpse into what's beyond. That's the, the kingdom of God. Glimpses of light into what the kingdom will be surrounded by darkness and yet there's a light at the end of the way. And he tells us that if this is true, the last thing you and I can do is be gloomy in the house of God. <laughs> he hasn't called us to be miserable. He's called us to be free. He's called us to celebrate, to remember that we are sojourners and travelers and to invite other people that along this merry band to come and be a part of the community. And no longer do you have to dread Mount Sinai because you're going to Mount Zion, the beautiful city of God. And yet we live in a world in which we're waiting for all of that. Have you ever had just an experience with the Lord where God just spoke to you? Maybe you heard a song or a message or a testimony, or you saw a sunrise and a sunset. You just had this God moment in your life, and you thought, man, whatever my problems are, it'll be okay because of Jesus. And then you ran back into your problems. <laughs> Somebody who talked to you and just said something to set you off and said, you know, Lord, I could make it in this world if it wasn't for human beings. <laughs> That's the world in which we inhabit. That's the world in which we live. And he says that, that the challenge for you is that you've got this awesome God and little to show for it, earthly speaking. That's why they die in faith. 
faith. <laughs> That's why they receive the promises. That's why they look for the city, because they haven't arrived there yet. And someone else is always going to have more. I thank God for all that he's given me, but somebody else has got more than me. Does that mean God loves them more than me? No. He says you have a kingdom that can't be shaken. But my goodness, your world sure can. Your family, your job, your friends, all of that is so vulnerable. And then on top of all of that, we live in this reality of an unstable world, but we take things for granted. Our health and safety, none of that's guaranteed. You place your hopes and your dreams and expectations that likely won't be satisfied. Somebody won Powerball this past week. You know, you've got a better shot of a coconut falling on your head and killing you than you do of winning the lottery. You can be struck by lightning twice before winning that thing. Some of you said, well, if I win, I'll give to the church. Yeah, you better give to the church. Devil's had it long enough. How do you keep your soul unshakable? When your heart feels so unstable, I know your kingdom is there, Lord, but my heart and my flesh, they're, they're here. How you make the invisible visible? You got to trust that there's a better word than your own word. You got to trust that there's someone who knows more than you do and that he's working all things together for good. And that's who he describes. He says there is someone who speaks a better word than the word of Abel. In verse 24, he's describing Jesus. That blood of Abel cried out from the ground after his brother Cain. And even Abel and his righteous obedience does not achieve what Jesus achieves. Because when the blood of Jesus comes, there is peace. There's hope. There's the satisfaction of the wrath of God. There is an atonement that's paid. And because of all this, in seeking the invisible kingdom in a visible world in seeking the unshakable kingdom in a unstable world he says you do not refuse him who is speaking you listen to the word of the lord and he describes it this way he says look if they can't escape earthly judgment the children of israel at mount sinai when god judged them horrendously how in the world can you expect to escape Heavenly judgment. I read someone say of the eclipse this last week, if you saw that awesome experience, you know, if you tried to look at the sun during that time period without covering your eyes, your eyes could potentially get burnt. He said the sun will burn your eyes out from 92 million miles and you expect to casually stroll into the presence of its creator. God of this universe is so powerful and so mighty and you don't waltz into his presence. You don't casually arrive, and you can't keep thinking that there will always be an opportunity to receive him. That was the rich man's mistake. And in hell, he looked at Abraham and said, send Lazarus, send Abraham, send someone. And the response from heaven is, if they will not hear from Moses and the prophets, neither will they hear my word, though one rise from the dead. And you know what I found? And this is especially true in the church sometimes. Often the very people who say don't judge, taking that out of context, are using that attitude to justify their own sin. You're saying don't judge because you're in sin yourself. 
And how often we forget that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. In other words, God is doing you a favor by commanding you to repent. This is what he says in Romans 2, 4, and 5. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Preachers who don't preach on hell are sending people to hell. You know that, right? If you don't hear of the wrath of God, how will you know of the great mercy of God? And what he does here is he moves from judgment to vindication. So some of you are wondering if God will judge right day, right one day, if you will be vindicated. This is what he says in Psalm 9, 7 through 12. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And though those who know your name put their trust in you for you O lord have not forsaken those who seek you sing praises to the lord who sits enthroned in zion tell among the peoples his deeds for he who avenges blood is mindful of them he does not forget the cry of the afflicted and he reminds us that our god is a consuming fire so you got fire at the beginning and you got fire at the end and God is preparing a new city, a heavenly Jerusalem, where one day everything wrong in this world will be made right. God is making all things new. But before that can happen, a great judgment will take place. And the job of each and every one of us is to be prepared for that judgment and to make sure that others are prepared as well. Because there's coming a day when the earth will be shaken again. This is what he says, Haggai 2, 5 through 9. It's where the unshakable shakable reference comes from my spirit remains in your midst fear not for thus says the lord of hosts yet once more in a little while i will shake the heavens and earth and the sea and the dry land and i will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and i will fill this house with glory says the lord of hosts the silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the lord of hosts and the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the lord of hosts and in this place i will give you peace declares the lord of hosts the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's coming to judge the earth, and he will do so with justice and with equity. And he tells the people of God, this world is about to be shaken. This world is increasingly unstable. And so you got to seek the world that cannot be shaken. you got to seek the God who is more stable than anything in this universe. And then he concludes by telling us how to respond to the unshakable kingdom. The first thing he tells us to do is to worship. Really, that's what the people of God respond to in any circumstance of life. When I truly understand grace, when I truly understand the kingdom that God has set up, I respond in gratitude. I thank him for what he's done. All brothers and sisters, we ought not to be half-hearted in our worship. We ought to be all in for the kingdom of God. We ought to be people who sing his praises louder than any rock concert, louder than any ball game, praising the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because if you don't like it being loud right now, try listening to the choir of heaven. I'm convinced some of you are going to need earplugs up there because when you're singing to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you don't hold back. 
He says, respond in gratitude. Be thankful for what he has done. Wake up every day thanking him for what he's done. Lord, thank you that I am no longer under wrath. Thank you that I'm a child of the promise. Thank you that you've given me an unshakable kingdom. And I'm not at Mount Sinai anymore. I'm at Mount Zion. I'm not in the kingdom of darkness. You have brought me into your marvelous light. And then he tells us because of this, not only should we worship with gratitude, but we should have confidence in what God is doing. Here's the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We know that the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And this God who put all of these things in place hasn't left you on your own. You may be lonely in your mind and in your heart, but you are not alone. The God of this universe knows your name and he calls you by it. And he says, as a result of all of this, we ought to be people who are living in light of eternity. And to remember that in this unstable world, there is an unshakable kingdom. So regardless of what the Ayatollah or Kim Jong-un or warlords and dictators or the responses of the United States, regardless of the emotional and the physical and the spiritual instability that you see around you, we know that in a world where kingdoms crumble and empires fall, His kingdom is forever. And we wait and we rejoice in anticipation of that day. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at veryefields.com.